Communicating and presenting information is a core responsibility for statisticians and data scientists. Whether you are providing a summary of study analysis, proposing a new methodology or shaping the direction of a team, the ability to engage an audience and clearly communicate your thinking is critical to progressing work, advancing science and influencing project direction. But what it is that makes some presentations more impactful or engaging than others? Are some statisticians just more gifted presenters? Or is there a trick to delivering scientific or quantitative content that makes it more interesting? There are concepts and techniques that can make every statistician more effective and allow them to connect better with audiences. They will help you. In our upcoming free webinar, we will provide three actionable ideas along with specific examples to immediately improve your ability to give impactful presentations. Sign up for the webinar now. It happens on February 17th, 2021. Register now on theeffectivestatistician.com. You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking about career dedication and motivation, the unsung heroes of COVID-19. And here I'm speaking with Nancy Carpenter from Veramed. So enjoy the music now. In this discussion with Nancy, we will dive deeper into what is happening behind the scenes with these COVID studies and what is so different about that. What can we learn from these COVID studies and is this super fast development, is that something that we can transplant, so to say, to other areas? What would be needed for that? And also, What does it mean to work in such a pandemic on such a compound where, you know, so many people are talking about? So it was a really, really nice interview with Nancy. So stay tuned for that. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Just head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. another episode here and today I'm really happy to speak with Nancy Carpenter who is one of the unsung heroes in this COVID crisis because she's working quite a lot behind the scenes uh, to help uh, the world in terms of treatment of uh, COVID-19 symptoms. So Nancy, maybe you can start a little bit by introducing yourself and um, 
what brought you here and working now on uh, these topics that is in the news every day. <laughs> okay, thanks, Alexander. Um, so I'm Nancy Carpenter. I've, I've worked in pharma industry for more than 20 years since ever since I, I came out of a university I went straight into a small CRO um, and been working on a whole variety of, of different projects and different phases for the last 23 years um, and ended up at Veramed a few years ago um, where I'm now working as a consultant to a small pharma company um, and giving them lots of statistical support for their ongoing studies. Okay. Okay. So in terms of these studies, um, you're working on treatment studies, so not on vaccination studies. Yes, um, that's right. And what are the challenges there in terms of these treatment studies? Where are you with it? Um, well, the, the treatment I'm, I'm working on is at the moment that we're in a trial targeting patients who've got quite serious covid so they, they're patients who need to be hospitalized and they need to have oxygen. And it's looking at trying to regulate the immune response to um, ensure that they don't then deteriorate further and, and go on to the ICU or, or even more sadly into death. Um, so the the challenges there are it's we, we were possibly a little late starting because we had some questions for the FDA and and so on that. Um, that we missed the end of the first wave almost of patients. And it's it's quite a terrible thing because you really don't want there to be a second wave. But if there isn't, you can't recruit patients for your study. Um, and and so it's it's kind of that, that payoff of waiting for patients, almost hoping you don't get them because that means that the some of the crisis may be, you know, departing and going away. But at the same time, wanting patients because you want to know if, your theories about this drug are, are correct and you know because we think it might be a really good treatment so it's it's quite uh, a, a payoff in terms of emotional in terms of waiting for your patients to come in are they coming in oh dear there's another one and then and then sort of looking to see how they're doing and obviously it's a completely blinded study so we, we don't know who's on what treatment but kind of following through patients and you almost feel very more invested I'd say at the moment I think I feel more invested in COVID studies than almost in any other area I've worked in just because it is so current and so needed at the moment yeah so yeah I think that is you know if you see these numbers coming in and then you realize there's for for each of these numbers there's a specific patient somewhere around the world that, that you know suffers yeah. from it and you see these kind of symptoms how they deteriorate or you know you not understand what these lab parameters mean i i can completely relate to that i was once working on a uh hiv studies and that was in patients where they have exhausted quite a lot of their treatment options or pretty much all of their treatment options And when you then saw kind of their viral markers and you were seeing kind of oh, for all the options, well, the, the markers show um, that the drugs won't work. Uh, you really, and then you see kind of the lab parameters and it feels really, really bad to, to kind of see these, these patients then, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and I think a lot of the reasons why I went into medical stats were I was always very interested in the medical side anyway and kind of thought about taking medicine rather than maths at university to start with when I was 18. Um, and, and I find it's it's patient stories that keep me the most motivated um, on a completely different area anyway. I went to um, a recent um, FDA discussion meeting where um, patients, it was an open meeting and patients were given a chance to actually have their say on whether they thought a drug was had a benefit risk profile that was worth it or not. And I was incredibly moved by a lot of the patient stories and them saying, I mean, there was one that stuck with me was um, a man who said, I wasn't expected to live to see my daughter's wedding and now I will dance with her at it. And that sort of thing, that sort of story really, it does motivate you. It makes you realise that what you're doing, it is important and it really does make a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's these kind of, Yes, yeah, so really that story of live to see my kids getting married. It's it's incredible important. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of that, how does it if you if you're working with people outside or, or if you're speaking with people outside of the farm of the farmer world, how does it how is it that that you're working on these kind of drugs? Are there kind of questions about that? Um We get a little bit of questions. I mean, obviously, a lot of what we're doing is very confidential. So you have to be very vague in what you're saying and and when you're talking about it with friends or whatever. But, you know, people are very interested when I say that I'm working on a COVID study and, and wanting to know more and wanting to know about the kind of things that are coming up and, and is this a treatment that's going to work and wanting to know more about what's going on around covid and um the people it's one of those things where there's an awful lot of information to the casual information in the newspapers and things out there and i find i do find some of my friends will ask me about things because they assume that somehow i'll know all the medical (laughs) answers as well (laughs) um but it, it it is interesting and it is obviously people are so interested in what's going on medically with it at the moment I mean obviously the vaccine side is the really is, is very cutting edge um and obviously the the most recent um news about the new Pfizer vaccine is seen as being incredibly important and hopefully the the final results will play out and and will match those interim results because this is something that is needed and but it is it is definitely interesting and it's it is something I do speak a bit to with friends in a as I said, in very general terms, but um, in, in allowing us to, uh, people do want to know and they want to sort of ask questions and they, they're kind of interested in knowing that something's so current. And it's funny because all of the other diseases we work in are also quite current and there are also thousands and millions of patients suffering from them. But this is almost, COVID's almost become a unifying thing because literally it's everywhere and everyone knows somebody who's had it or been ill, very ill with it, or, or hopefully not too many people, but there obviously are a lot of people who know somebody who's died from it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think there's a really big fear, lots of, also lots of misunderstanding. So I think this this crisis is, 
how frightening it is, is also an opportunity to better explain what, what's happening in terms of research, what is, you know, how these processes uh, look like, so that it's not just, you know, producing a drug and then selling it on, on the market. It's about making sure that, you know, you have good evidence there, what that means, what it, what yeah. it means to have something that is effective. What, how, how do you kind of assess tolerability and safety of a drug? And yeah. I found that this topic really helped me to um, paint a completely different picture of of what we are doing it's and that is not just you know how we want to sell drugs it, it's about producing something that is helpful for for patients making sure that yeah that it works and that it's safe it's another opportunity also to uh, explain all the statistics around it yeah so, so yeah. what does it mean if we stop a study early for efficacy or for fertility or you know when can we say that a drug is safe how many patients do we need to say it's safe and and these kind of things and i i had quite a few people sort of asking me why they were stopping studies if there was only one patient who'd had a worrying effect and you know trying to talk through the reasons so it's it's funny my friends have become so much more informed about the clinical trial process because of everything that's being followed in in the news and it's it's obviously is so um current and and they are explaining in the newspapers about clinical trials and why why think how things go through and and you know what talk understanding about phases of research and so on um but again i did have a couple of my friends as said ask me about um, why you would stop a clinical trial if only one patient out of thousands had had an event. And I was explaining to them, you know, that it depends how serious the event is, because even if it's very rare, you still need to look at, is it definitely something that is being caused by the drug? Because you're going to be scaling this up to millions of people, potentially billions of people taking this drug. So if it only happens once in 10,000 cases, that means it's going to happen a hundred times in a million cases kind of thing. And, and that that actually does become quite a problem if it's something that's really, really bad. Um, And sort of explaining that side of things, I found quite interesting that, as I said, a lot of, a lot of people on there were suddenly so much more informed about the clinical trial process and, and wanting to know where I fit into it as well, because they know I work in clinical trials but they're not really sure, you know, what what's the math involved kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a huge opportunity also for for students that that work in statistics or that study statistics to see kind of what the benefit is of working in this area. Yeah, yeah. I think for sure we also get a salary paid, but I think there's yeah. so much more benefit from it. How do you th- think about that? I, I would definitely agree. I mean, I've always said I'm incredibly lucky in that I actually found a job that gets me up every morning for more than the salary because it it is a job I enjoy, I am interested in. So beyond the numbers, I'm really interested in the medicine and I find it fascinating and you can see a difference that you're making. I mean, some of the drugs I've been involved in over the years, you know, are now sort of 
being used in the community and occasionally you you come across somebody who's taking one of them and it's like yeah it's made a real difference to your to my life and it's like yeah I did that not yeah. me on my own but <laughs> I was part of doing that yeah. and I was part of making somebody's life better and and that I, it is something that does keep me going but also as I said I just find it I, I I'm one of those few people maybe hopefully not too few who really enjoy their job and who is fascinated by everything really that's not to say there aren't boring bits of course but um yeah, well you have the expense report like in every <laughs> <laughs> in every job yeah but yeah i mean it, and it is something i it for, for a, a sort of somebody who's interested in stats and medicine i would say it is the perfect job so um i'm i'm delighted to be here <laughs> and I, I do think it does make a difference when you've got something you do that you enjoy yeah it's uh, it's the same for me it then it doesn't really feel like work it's it's kind of you go into these meetings and you have these discussions about how does it work how can we measure it how can we make sure that you know we make these studies as effective as as possible how do we get to results fast while still also getting the safety right. So I think these are really, really interesting discussions. And yeah. what I also think is kind of, you work with incredibly interesting people on the other yeah. side, isn't it? <laughs> really, um, I mean, as I said, I, I, I've sort of, um, although I work for Veramed, I'm kind of embedded in a, into a client's team um, as their statistician as well. And it is something that, you do get to know people very well and and I, I have to admit it's one of the nicest teams I've ever worked with because they're all very friendly and they're all so clever as well and they you know it's everybody knows that you know they respect the fact that I know my side and they they are very comfortable with the fact that they know their side and there's an awful lot of mutual respect there but yeah they are interesting people who I, I really enjoy working with um, and, and I find that that's the norm rather than the exception yep. um, as well in, in the industry is that it is generally people who are motivated by more than the financial package that comes with the job. And that is, again, it, it just helps to make you enjoy your work a lot more yourself yep. when when it's it's something like that. Yeah, it's incredible if you then speak with people that are cutting-edge researchers and they can, you know, explain you in simple words how this all works together and why this drug should work and why, you know, certain side effects might appear for, for, for these yeah. kind of different things and what to look out for and how it's different to the method of action is different to other options that are currently studied in, uh, in other programs. Um, I find that incredibly interesting. And yeah. it's getting that explained from a you know world class researcher. In which job do you happen to work with these world class researchers all the time? It's 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 quite an exceptional thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean COVID studies are interesting in, in that they tend to be so fast paced. So you kind of you go I've had studies where it's taken us a year to get the protocol fully developed and signed off and it's myriad of, of changes and updates and going to the regulator and getting their thoughts and no come back and 
and then you have a COVID study and it's kind of approved in about two weeks <laughs> the protocol <laughs> and it's it's you you have to be on the ball and you have to be able to think on your feet because the medic was just sort of throwing endpoint ideas at me and, and what if we did this and what if we did this and you're having to think quite quickly about what your how you would analyze it the pros and cons of you know how well will we be able to collect data in order to really support that endpoint um how is that that endpoint being looked at you know what should we be doing or shouldn't we be doing i mean um for for covid um i think anybody who works in covid now will will know about this but there's a a who ordinal scale that has been developed which seems to be used by a lot of the studies and has become almost one of the big sort of known endpoints that everybody's using and a lot of discussion about it's an ordinal scale it's not a continuous scale so we really shouldn't be looking at mean change and trying to get you know the 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 clinicians to kind of understand that you know a, a one point move in one direction is not necessarily the same as a one point move from a different starting point yeah and that therefore you shouldn't be treating it as you know as if it's a, a blood pressure and a 10 point decrease is, is a 10 point decrease kind of thing um and and that's the sort of thing where you're really having to make sure that how you explain things you can do it in a way that is understandable to somebody who has a bit of statistics knowledge and and uh, almost everybody who works in the industry is pretty numerically smart yeah. but they don't always understand the nuances and it's it's being able to explain those in ways that they will understand without being condescending <laughs> which is really important because that tends to put people's backs up without using too technical a, a set of language because it, it's basically and when you're then trying to possibly say why you made me think that a Bayesian model might be better in one case than a frequentist um, that's when I find that really pushes the the limits of how good my explaining statistics and non-statisticians is yeah um it's a constant challenge and a constant learning process to be yeah. in terms become better in terms of communicating and explaining and yeah. listening and, and back to what what the real needs are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to me, that's one of the most important skills that a statistician can have because if we can't make ourselves and what we do accessible and understandable, then The, the clinicians and, and the marketing people and everybody else sort of involved in moving the drug forward won't want to have that collaboration with us as much because it's like, oh, they're, they're just going to talk and it'll go over my head and that's no good to me. I'll I'll just do my own thing. And it, until we can get them to accept that they do need the expertise and that we can provide that with, but also explain it so that they know why it's important that's something that that you know i think is one of the biggest and most important tools you've got in your toolkit as a statistician as you sort of go up the ladder and you, you actually start working directly with the the sort of the non-stats people mm. uh, once once you're let out of your little sort of pen of, of working in your tight little biometrics unit and and start sort of being higher up the, the, the ladder and and actually starting to communicate with sort of people outside your own team Yeah. Um, it is a skill you need to develop and you, it, it is something you you need to find words to make that make it understandable yeah so 
So you mentioned that it's very different for working on COVID studies than for the others, because, you know, things are so super fast paced. Would you think this is something that in the future would be maybe we could replicate in other areas as well? Or is that, uh, yeah, one one time event because, you know, all the world is kind of aligned around the priority here. And that's why we can, you know, work so smoothly together with regulators and uh, have everything kind of working in parallel and, and stacking up everything. Or is that something that potentially could, you know, be some learnings could be leveraged for other areas as well? I think some learnings could definitely be taken forward into how we make decisions, how we accelerate through the, the protocol writing stage and review stage and, and bringing together ideas. And I think there are definitely some lessons to be learned by that. Whether we would ever have the kind of the fast paced turnarounds that we have had with COVID, where I think there were sort of in the last few months, there have been thousands of new drugs, as I understand it, certainly of trials that have been pushed through and started, you know, it, it, it's been incredible. But the problem is, and the FDA and the EMA and other regulatory bodies have been prioritising COVID studies. And I think that is possibly a rate limiting thing that we couldn't do because once, once we get past the COVID hump, all, how do you decide which illness is more important than another one to fix? Yeah. Because how do you decide, you know, and obviously there are accelerated programs um, for some drugs where that, especially if they're a first in class or they're, 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 they're meeting an unmet need, then there are ways to accelerate those. And, you know, certainly that kind of study, we could take the learnings from COVID from as to how to do things in a really efficient manner. But I don't think we'll ever see the kind of speed of trials for, for other diseases without a background pandemic yeah. going on simply because you can't there's too many different important illnesses out there that yeah. just prioritizing one is is not fair if you like yeah i mean in this it, case I think it's it's also a limit in terms of resources yes yeah? so yeah. there's so so many people that then need to you know work and basically kind of be there just waiting for the response coming back Yeah, and then start working in again. So, so it's, yeah. it's there's a lot of kind of resource and and uh, cost topics involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can understand why it happened for COVID because the problem is is that while the pandemic is going on, other diseases and illnesses are almost being pushed onto the back seat slightly in hospitals because hospitals are filling up, and so fixing this will hopefully assist us to fix other things as well, simply because it will free up the resource to do all of the screenings and the, you know, the the potential things that will help us to pick up, for example, cancers early. A lot of the, the concern that there may be a bit of a, a return wave of cancers because a lot of screenings have been cancelled, a lot of appointments with, with oncologists and, and other, and for not just cancer, but other illnesses. Mm -hmm. that you know because of everything has been focused on covid that we're going to see more illness and death from from other causes as yeah. well which is obviously we you need to make find that balance somehow 
Yeah, and of course, lots of studies are on hold if there's a pandemic, yeah, because people can't travel, because delivery can't happen, because of all kind of different things. Yeah. So so I think the if if we if we solve the problem with COVID, then that helps all the other studies moving forward again as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and and it's very much the case that in all of my non-COVID studies we're having to look very much at carefully managing risks of that are due to COVID. For example, what happens if a patient needs to self-isolate? What happens if a site needs to close for two weeks because some of the staff have become ill? Yeah. All of that sort of thing. You have to have so many plans in place. How do you deal with um, cases where you can't collect data by tele telelink or a video conference with the doctor? because it involves something like a skin assessment or you absolutely have to take blood in order to be able to see what's happening or yeah. there's so many things where you're having to put in a lot of extra work to the studies that have nothing to do with COVID to deal with the potential of the issues that come from COVID and that's actually been something that's I mean it's obviously it's through the whole industry and I'm sure none of the statisticians listening to this will be sort of surprised by anything that I say but it is again becoming something so important that we're actually having to really see what we can do to mitigate risks caused yeah. by COVID which is affecting everything and and making sure that our studies still have the integrity that they had when we planned them and that there's no going to be no extra biases brought in and, and all of this sort of thing of, of and having to explain how all of this might affect the results and you know the likelihood that we will actually find a response if there is one to find it is really important and and again being able to communicate that and get that message across to everybody else in the sort of pharma team is really important as well Thanks so much. That was a really, really good uh, discussion uh, and of all the different episodes that I had have recorded up to now probably one of the most emotional ones given the you know the impact it has on all of us and see the uh, urgency and the and the patient stories there so thanks so much uh, nancy for that is there any final things that you would like to take the listener away from this discussion i'm not sure i have anything other than i hope everybody enjoys their job who 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 is listening the way I do and and realizes that we do make a difference and that it's actually something you can feel good about. Thanks so much. Very good. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about this podcast and join my LinkedIn group or follow me on LinkedIn and you'll learn much more about being an effective statistician. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. <laughs>